All right, so at this time, we're blessed to have our sermon for today, brought to us by our pastor, Steve Andrews. The message is entitled, Take Grace, Truth, and Faith into the New Year. I come to you finally, drip dried. I was out there in that rainstorm in the wrong time. If I'd have gotten a little here a little earlier, I probably would have missed all that. But it seemed like my collars, the legs, and everything were pretty much wet. And I'm thankful for clothes that dry out quickly because it uh, it feels much better than uh, being up here. Now, see, I don't think I need that. Just move that out of the way a little bit here. It's um, hard to believe that we've about gone through another year. And I know as those of us who uh, uh, understand the Bible, uh, this is a civil change in years, not uh, God's, God's year, but uh, how many of us are not affected by the change? Uh, at the end of this uh, couple of days here, uh, before the first, uh, all, all the uh, taxes will, will be due or taxes will be uh, return, depending on which way you are, or what situation you're in, and uh, you'll start writing 2020 on your checks, if you write checks, or whatever business that you were doing. So we do make a change into the new year, and um, everybody is out there making new, re new Year's resolutions, and I kept thinking, well, I see, I could make one to uh, try to be here early. I don't know about that one. I think about that one a little bit. Uh, maybe I could try to make one to try to be here on time for a change. You know, that might help a little bit. Anyway, I, I think the, the what I really want to talk about today, and, and I think maybe my, my title might be a little bit um, um, preconceived in that I think that understanding that these things, these assets of grace, truth, and faith are already there. And what I'm really wanting to, to convey is these spiritual assets that we possess, grace, truth, and faith, go with us because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. And so whenever we make um, a transition in life or whenever we have troubles in life and whenever we are um, cognizant of things that are going on in the world or changes that are happening in the world or things that are happening and we become somewhat um, maybe disillusioned or upset or anything remember that this is something that God is working out in all of our lives it is a powerful thing that God is doing in that he is moving and calling many people to this way of life. And we're very thankful to Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. We're going to look at some, some of these, and I'm going to, to, to look at some definitions out of the Bible. First of truth, then of faith, and Everyone is very, very familiar with them. And then I'm going to, to, to dwell on grace because it is one of the most important spiritual things 
that is going on on a, on a real-time basis constantly from the throne of God. Because God is constantly shedding His grace on His people and on the world if they would hear, if they would listen. If they would comprehend the greatness and the power that dwells in the Word of God. And if they could see what God is really doing and how He is involving Himself in the lives. We have that. If we have that spirit, they dwell in us. And we, we are encouraged and strengthened and guided and led by that spirit that has Jesus Christ and God the Father dwelling in us. So let's, let's look at truth first. John, the 14th chapter. You're very familiar with these, and I, I'm just going to review this real quickly. But when I get into the portions of grace, I think you'll see that these are also included in what we're talking about today. John, the 14th chapter, and beginning in, verse, in just a couple of verses here. Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So when we look at Jesus Christ, we can say, well, he is the truth. And the things that he says are true. And we can take those things and we can inculcate them in our lives and we can understand that Jesus Christ is the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. If you had known me, you should have known my Father also. And from hereafter, you know him and have seen him. So Jesus Christ came to manifest the Father, and we have his words. We have what he has said. In John, um, the 17th chapter, just over a little bit, just a very quick one verse here. And we're very familiar with this one also. Sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth. The word sanctified means to make holy. And this is interesting. We are made holy also from the word of God, his truth, his word. So, your word, God's word, is truth. So when we're faced with situations in life, which we don't understand or we can't kind of comprehend, it's time to turn to the truth. It's time to turn to the Word of God. Especially in, in things that might physically or emotionally or mentally come up that will you know, seem to rattle you. Go to God's Word. Go to God. Get on your knees. Pray to God to help him, you to understand. Because the truth is there. And He will reveal it to you. He will give you understanding. Hopefully, if we are trying to help someone else, we are able to maybe convey that truth. Sometimes people reject God's Word. But maybe in some way we can uh, reach out to someone and convey that truth to them. So, we've gone through and we've looked at truth and what Jesus said, the Word is truth and it, and that He is truth. So, everybody is familiar with the next one. Faith. 
Faith is, uh, you can't get a better definition than in Hebrews, the 11th chapter, as we look at those uh, two verses in here that are so very, very important. Now, faith is a substance of things hoped for. In other words, it's the assurance. Those of us who walk in this way have the assurance that, they, that, God, that what God has promised us will come to pass. And especially the kingdom of God and being in His kingdom. The evidence or the conviction of things not seen. I'm still alive. I haven't, I haven't been changed as we heard in that first message. I, I'm still flesh and blood. I, I am still corruptible. And I still will face death. Just like everyone will face death at some time. Or they'll go to sleep and be resurrected in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. It's important to understand that we are convicted in our hearts and in every way and believe what God has said because that's what faith means. To believe. To believe in the words of God. So, now faith is a substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So, also... In verse 6, which I always quote and like to quote, because I think it's so very important. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. It's impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of, the, rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. So what we find here is to have that true faith, is to believe what God says in His Word. And to believe that He dwells in your heart. And believe that He is directing your life into the kingdom of God. Those truth and faith. Now, let's turn to 1 Corinthians, the first chapter. As we look at grace... Paul was given an immense trial when he was called to elaborate on this very subject. It was a, a powerful thing that God revealed to him and also that was, that's in the Bible. But because he was going to face tremendous opposition to what he was going to, to do, he wrote some more powerful things in the scriptures. And I'll get to it yet. First <laughs> Corinthians, the first chapter. And beginning in verse 1. Paul was called to be one sent. That's what apostle means. Of Jesus Christ. And we know the story. Paul literally <laughs> was knocked down, struck blind, and told that he was going to follow Jesus Christ no matter what. And so 
Paul, through his work, through the things that he wrote, through his life, um, preached and taught this truth you find in, in the epistles of Paul. He says, uh, To the church of God which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all that, that in every place call upon the name of, of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. So, we find, uh, I don't know whether there's a church in Corinth still or not, but if there is and there, they're believers, then they can read this and understand, but we are the ones, to them that are sanctified, that's us, those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, who have been baptized, sanctified, in other words, we're holy ones, set apart, in Christ Jesus, to be saints, not to be named a saint someday, but we are saints. It says we are the holy ones. And that we represent what God is doing in each one of us. Grace be to you. And peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you'd like to look at all the different letters, that salutation is there. Every time. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. The grace of God that's given us. By Jesus Christ. Let that sink in. The grace of God, which is given, uh, given you by Jesus Christ. Let's take a second here to look at the word grace. I wrote it down. I, I used Thayer's. Uh, I don't, I'm not even sure I'm pronouncing that right, but that's what I call it. Thayer's lexicon. Under the term of the word grace, oops, excuse me, that which affords joy, pleasure, delight, sweetness, charm, loveliness, grace of speech. Now, this includes all of the things on grace. So we're going, I'm going to read a few of these, and then I'm going to come back to one that I think represents what the Bible and what God is talking about when it talks about grace from our Lord Jesus Christ. So, uh, number two would be goodwill, loving kindness, favor. Number three, what is due to grace? The spiritual condition of one governed by the power of divine grace. The token or proof of grace. Benefit. A gift of grace. Benefit. Bounty. Thanks for benefits, services, favors, recompense, reward. And I think that was it. And this one. Back under number two. This is 2A. Goodwill, loving kindness, and favor. 2A. Of the merciful kindness by which God exerting his holy influence upon souls, turns them to Christ. Isn't that interesting? Keeps, strengthens, increases them in Christian faith. So it's not just this beginning, the turning, the calling, but it continues. It continues on. So grace continues on in our life because we need it, brethren. We do, as we are going to find out. We need it. The influence upon our souls turns them to Christ, keeps, 
comma, strengthens, comma, increases them in Christian faith, comma, knowledge, affection, and kindles them to, exercise, uh, to the exercise of Christian virtues. I think that pretty much is a very good definition of what we're going to be talking about today and what God is doing in each one of us as he moves us in our life towards his kingdom. So let's see what Paul was up against. We're going to do this mostly through the book of Romans. And the first problem <laughs> that Paul was up against is that trying to bring grace to the Gentiles was going to be a very difficult situation. Because the Jews had a particular thing that that was entrenched and it was given to them by God. And we're going to read a little bit about that and why that was given and how that was, how that was done through uh, our, our father, the, 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 the father Abraham. But circumcision was very much a part of Jewish uh, religion and Jewish life at that time. And so we have Paul wanting to bring in the Gentiles who were not circumcised. And so now we have a situation in which we are going to be able to um, give an understanding of why God's grace has now allowed those Gentiles to come in. Why all are now capable of coming to Jesus Christ. It says, and I'm going to read some other scriptures here in a minute, to kind of back that up a little bit. It says, and, and this is in Romans, the second chapter, and I'm just going to read just a few verses here. For circumcision verily, this is verse 25, for cir circumcision verily profits if you keep the law. But if you be a breaker of the law, your circumcision is made uncircumcision. Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep, uh, uh, keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for, uh, for circumcision. And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge you who by the letter and circumcision do transgress the law. For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. And so, <clears throat> Paul is almost writing a, a legal document here. A legal document trying to, to help people to understand what God is doing to open up salvation to all of mankind. And I have three scriptures that kind of help us to understand what Paul, and Paul through most of his scriptures are, are, are battling this and, and working through this and helping others to understand as a lot of his epistles bring this up occasionally. In Romans, the 10th chapter, just turn over here just a little bit. I didn't have these in uh, for Brian. I just was thinking about them later as, as an addendum to this particular part. Uh, Romans 10 and verse 12, it says, 
For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all that call upon him. That's Romans 10, verse 12. In Colossians, the third chapter, let's turn more to Colossians in the third chapter, in verse 11, he says, uh, Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all in all. And so what Paul is doing in his writings is trying to help, um, I'm sure the Jews also, trying to help them understand why now the heathen and all can come in to this way of life, can participate in it. And of course, he, <laughs> they hated him for it, and he had a tremendous battle over these things that, that we're talking about here today. Back in Galatians, one more thing, and I think this one uh, is very profound, and because women, not necessarily second class, but they, they, they had their place. And so consequently, when Paul wrote this, he also elevated the women into the class that all now can participate in the grace of God. All can participate in the kingdom of God. All can be kings and priests in the kingdom of God. It's all over, all open. Galatians 3, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ, then you are uh, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You see how that works out? You see how, God, uh, uh, how Paul, through, this, through the Holy Spirit and inspiration from that Holy Spirit now, has opened the door to all to come to Christ, to all to be in the kingdom of God. And there was a great opposition to this because of the thing called circumcision. And so... Now he's going to explain grace. Why it is so, uh, why God is now pouring his grace out to all, his loving kindness to all, giving the opportunity for all to have God's Holy Spirit and to live in that. And I, told, I, I wrote at the bottom of my thing uh, that I sent to Brian, I thought, well, I probably don't have enough time to cover all of this. I, I want to cover as much as I can because it's extremely important to understand the grace that God is showing uh, through what he is, it, it has been doing. And so here, let's go back now to Romans, and let's pick it up in Romans, the, the third chapter. And let's just read these words. And I've got a, a, a section here underlined that I think probably it would be good for you to underline too, if you would like. Let me read this. What advantage then has the Jew, or what profit there is of circumcision. So here he goes, and he's, and remember, there's no chapter breaks in the original. So this would have been just a continuation of Paul's thinking and Paul's writing. And, and so, but we have the, the chapter breaks and all of that for, for our advantage that we can, uh, I can give you, okay, chapter 3 and, and, and verse 1. So what advantage then has the Jew, or what profit is there of circumcision? Well, Paul says much in every way, chiefly because that to them were committed the oracles of God. 
and they did preserve it down through the through the ages and and yeah, I anyone that uh, would like to find out what the scribes do when they built when they write the the Torah out for a new or or even the the, the, the whole Bible out for a uh, synagogue it is it is time consuming they cannot make a mistake or they tear it up and throw it away and start all over again it is a very uh, profound thing that they take very seriously for what if some did not believe shall their unbelief make faith of of God without effect so here we have we're going to be talking about grace we're going to be talking about faith but we're also talking about truth because this is the truth this is the word of God that is truth so we're going to be talking about these things as we read through God's word God forbid yea, let God be true that every man but every man a liar as it's written that you might be justified in your sayings and might, over, uh, might overcome when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness commend to righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous who takes vengeance? I mean, it's interesting that we, we know God is going to, especially at the end, he is, going to take, he is going to pour out his wrath upon the world because of sin. So here we, we have this, um, this thought that he's bringing up. So is God unrighteous who takes vengeance? Well, God created us. God uh, looks down on man, and, and, and if judgment needs to be done, judgment is going to be done, because God decides it. God forbid that for then how shall God judge the world? For if the truth of God has more abounded through my light to his glory, why yet am I also judged as a sinner? And not rather, and, and, and there's a lot of parenthetical in, in, in Paul's writing. So when we jump into a parenthetical thought, he's, he's, he's trying to, to amplify it a lot. And there's, a, there's one very long one in here uh, that we might come to here in a little. As we, as we be slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come, whose damnation is just. So, now, as he was preaching this, he also received condemnation that he was preaching against the law. <laughs> you know? And so, not only does he, is he writing, but he's also having to, to defend the fact that, that this, these things are, are given by God, are coming from Jesus Christ. That he is being taught this by them. And so in every way he is, he is laying this out as almost as, as it were a, um, a legal paper. Help, having people to understand it. And especially the Jews that might read it. What then? Are we better than they? No in no wise. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they all are under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. So Paul now is going to quote a few scriptures. <laughs> if you've if you got a Bible that has the, the little insets in the bottom of it, you'll find out that Paul is, is starting now, he's going to quote some scripture for him. As it's written, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understands. There is none that seeks after God. They are all gone out <clears throat> of the way. 
They are altogether become unprofitable. There is none that does good. No, not one. You can look that one up in uh, Psalm 5, 9, Isaiah 59, 7 through 8, and Psalm 14, um, uh, 3. The throat is an open sepulcher with their tongues. They have used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips. Uh, also, um, out of Psalms 5, 9, and uh, this is Psalm uh, 140, verse 3. Oh, excuse me. I was getting just a wee bit dry there. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Psalm 10, verse 7. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their way. Isaiah 59, 7. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Psalm 36, verse 1. <coughs> now we know that what things so, uh, soever the law says, it says to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there is no flesh to be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now, the righteousness of God without the law is manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, to all upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned. And we quote this a lot. Because it is true. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God's glory is far above. And he even says, my, my thoughts are not your thoughts. I, my ways are way above your ways. <laughs> In fact, that he even deals with us at all. is a miracle. It shows his love for his creation. You know, the, there are some that want to, to have God you know, create man and run off and leave man and just you know, forget that man exists. So that man can do whatever he wants. But God is a loving God. And he has taken the time to do whatever it needs. And in fact, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. That he might die. And that he might be resurrected. And let's read what it says here. In verse 24. Being justified freely by his grace. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. Brethren, I would underline all of this because these are very key words here. Very key words of what he's... This, this is exactly what God is doing. Justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. And... Oh, there they are. Excuse me. To declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. And I, all of these words have a, a great deal of meaning, and they are very powerful words. And Paul's, the spirit that was moving him to, to write this, you can understand. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him who believes in Jesus. How, how important that you believe in Jesus Christ? Well, it's so very important because 
Now you are justified. And you have the hope of the kingdom of God before you. It's a tremendous uh, thing that, that, that is written about our very uh, future. Where we're going to be. What we're going to do. And having the grace of God. The loving grace of God upon each and every one of us. Because we are sinners. We have sinned. We, we all come short of the glory of God. So he says, where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he uh, the God of the Jews only? And I'm sure this is a very difficult thing for uh, the, the Jewish uh, uh, converts or the ones that are living and going to the synagogues and maybe reading this letter that came out from Paul in 58 A.D. or so, uh, somewhere around 58 A.D. You've got to remember that at this particular time the temple was still there. And the things that Paul was saying, that, that there was still... Uh, sacrifices, the temple was there, there was still uh, all of those things, there was still a high priest and all of that, and Paul was writing this in a, in a sense, um, it was extremely controversial at that time, extremely so. But we understand it now, don't we? I think we really do understand what God was doing. Opening up salvation for all of mankind. Not excluding anyone. And opening that salvation for all of mankind. So, so is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, also of the Gentiles. Seeing it is one God, which shall justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. And so now, um, here we have this legal things that he's going to have to work through this because he wants them to understand that what God is doing uh, is, is so profound. Now, he, he uses Abraham, and I don't want to read through all of this because I think you could take this, but he uses Abraham, and I'm going to use this first few verses here in the fourth chapter. What shall we say then that Abraham our father is pertaining to the flesh has found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he has whereto to glory, but not before God. For what said the scriptures? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. You can find that in Genesis 15, verse 6, if, you are, if you'd like to look that up. Now to him that works is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that works not, but believes on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness without works. Saying, blessed are they whose, uh, they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord will not impute sin. And so we, we become blessed. And of course, Abraham... Before he was circumcised, he, he was found righteous. That, the, all of this, um, in verse, four, verse 13, 
I'm going to skip a little bit. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith has made void and the promise made of none effect. Because the law works wrath for the... For where no law is, there is no transgression. Now, I don't want to run, uh, I want to go on down to verse 19. Let's go to 19 and let's read it here. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead. We're talking about Abraham here. And this, is, this is thinking about uh, where he was. He, uh, when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. Uh, Genesis 17, 17. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that he made what he had, uh, that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. I think from Abraham's example, in the age of which he was, in the age of Sarah, and Isaac was born, and, and all of that is now history, we can understand that he believed God and it was imputed to him for righteousness. And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Verse 22. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. But for us also to whom it shall be imputed. If we believe on him that raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. See how important the work of the Father and the Son is and how it's continuing on. And that they're constantly working with us. They don't give us, they don't leave us alone. They dwell in us through the Holy Spirit. They're constantly working with us, directing us and leading us, if we will listen, if we will believe what he says, if we will understand the words that are written in the book. Uh, five and six are filled with tremendous things about grace. Uh, and Paul, I think, was so filled with this. He said, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me read that again. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you feel at peace with God? Or do you feel like you're, you know, struggling with God? Well, you should feel like you're at peace with God because he has called us. He's, he's given us that tremendous calling and has opened the door for us to be in this kingdom as kings and priests, and we've been talking about that a lot, uh, that that is our destiny. That is our destiny. Behold, also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulations work patience. We don't like tribulations. Um, we don't like to be under tribulation. But understand, the Bible says it works patience. Patience also brings about experience, and experience hope. 
And the longer you live, the more you understand the tribulations and trials that come upon our lives do build a great deal of patience. You have to be patient with things. And hope makes not a shame because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is given to us. God, oh, I, we all understand the process. We get, a, we get a calling from God. We get a calling from God. And we are convicted by His Word, aren't we? We're convicted by the Word of God. We have that calling. We're convicted by the Word of God. He convicts us in our, in our heart. And we go and we ask, God, what should I do? Well, the Bible says you should repent. That's the first thing. We should repent of all of our sins. Then we should be baptized. We should be buried in that watery grave. We should accept. And we should be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because He is our salvation, our propitiation, our atonement. And so we understand that. He said, For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commends His love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's why we can be, we can come to God and we can repent and we can be baptized and we can be His little children. Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. And why is that? That means that we won't... You know, some may have to live through tribulation, but we won't have to experience the wrath of God. We won't have to experience the second death, which is e eternal death. Not eternal life in hell, you know, writhing and stuff, but eternal death. That's what the second death is all about. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. We keep the Passover every year, and, and we, it's a memorial of the death of Jesus Christ. And it, it is commanded that we keep that, and we do that every year. And we understand also that the beginning of the year is in the, in the spring, not in the dead of winter. You know, we, we live in a civil world, so we, we sometimes just have to live with it. But God's calendar starts in the spring, at the green ears that come up in Jerusalem. We have, you know, we have a calendar that we go by, and we keep the Passover, and we keep the days of unleavened, <clears throat> unleavened bread. And those are very important because they show us what God is doing in our life. And it shows the grace of God, the loving kindness of God in each one of us as He, as he comes into our life and changes and guides us. <clears throat> Not, and not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, who, by whom we have now received the reconciliation. I think that's, uh, that word atonement is, is, is better uh, translated reconciliation. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, 
and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Now, here's a very long parenthetical for, uh, a sentence, several sentences here. As, as Paul wants to explain this, he wants, he wants to ha have everyone understand where he's coming from, what he's wanting to, people to understand, and why he, he is saying what he's saying. And so, for, until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the, the likeness or the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. You know, the Adam and the, and the Christ. But not as offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God, and I mark this under, I under, underline this, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, has abounded to many. I mean, we have the hope in the kingdom of God in, in, the, in the great white throne judgment that billions will come to Christ. And we're hoping that millions and millions will still come to Christ before Christ returns. And that many will repent before the wrath of God is poured out on this, on this earth. And so we, we see the grace of God, the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, has abounded to many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so that the, the gift for the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses to justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. You see where the grace and, and faith and life and, and the truth is all tied up in our belief in Jesus Christ and in in, in what he is doing in our life. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to, uh, to condemnation, even so by righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men to justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one, shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Now see, here's where, here's where the problem has come with a lot of people wanting to talk, say that, that Paul has done away with the law. Ah, see, you know, uh, more law entered, and, and, but grace abounds, and so you can just do anything you want to. That as sin has reigned to death, even so might grace reign through righteousness to eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul answers his own question. He answers this because he understands that you could take this, you could take this wrongly. You could say, oh, well, you know, all the law is done away. Well, a lot of people do. All the law is done away. You don't need to keep any of the law. But that's not what the Bible says, and that's not what Paul says. He's trying to help us to understand something so basic. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the grace of God. 
And without that, we are still under the penalty of the death penalty, aren't we? <laughs> without the grace of God, without the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we would be under the death penalty. He said, God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? So there is a process in which, which Paul is trying to help us to understand what God wants us to do. Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Boy, Paul's message is so powerful in helping people to understand why, it's, why God's grace is there, why it's all open to all of mankind, why he's doing what he's doing. He wants his family to prosper, to be eternal. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that hence after we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. There is our faith, brethren. There is the faith that we have in the Word of God. The truth that is written that we believe that we shall also live with Him eternally. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dies no more, death has no more dominion over Him. For in that He died, He died to sin once. But in that He lives, He lives to God. Likewise, reckon you also yourselves to be dead, indeed, to sin, but alive to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the important thing that Paul is trying to help us to understand. They are working in us to bring us and change the change that we need and continually overcoming this world and, and, and recognizing our own weaknesses, our own sins. And working on those things. He says, therefore let not sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it to the lust thereof. Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but yield yourselves to God. And I have that one underlined also. Yield yourselves to God. As those that are alive from the dead and your members are instruments of righteousness to God. God can use each one of us as an instrument of righteousness to reach out to others, to be a, 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 you know, righteous before the world. <laughs> so much, sometimes we let our sins have dominion over us, don't we? We, have, we let those sins they just take us over. And, and sometimes we just, you know, we look at our own lives and, and wonder how in the world is God going to be able to, to bring us around and change us? But he can if we understand the, the loving grace of God that he gives. So here we have. So yield yourselves to God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you, have not, you are not under the law but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? Again, he tries to help people to understand that's not what he's talking about. 
For sin shall not have dominion over you. He says, God forbid. Sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under the law, but under grace. What then shall we sin? Because we are not under the law, but under grace. God forbid. Know you not that uh, to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are, are to whom you obey, whether to sin to death or obedience to righteousness. And there's, there's the, two, <laughs> the two trees, the two ways of life. Sin to death, obedience to righteousness. And, I mean, it's pretty plain. That's what Paul says. You either, you either take the one route which leads to death, or you take the other route that leads to eternal life. Obedience to righteousness is eternal life. God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that, that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. Being then made free from sin, you become the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because the infirmity of your flesh as for you have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and iniquity to iniquity. Even so now yield your members servants to righteousness to holiness. I mean that's what God is continually helping us to understand how much we, we need to, to serve God in righteousness and holiness. For when you were the servants of sin you were free from righteousness. What fruit had you then? Then in those things whereof you are now ashamed. For the end of those things is death. For now being made free from sin and becoming a servant of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. The fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. And, he, and this one is quoted, we quote this a lot. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of, a God, of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I have one real quick, one I want to turn to. Uh, and I didn't even write it down, did I? Um, I think it was 1 John, the third chapter. Because I wanted to read this. 1 John, the third chapter. Behold, what manner of love. We sing that. What manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knows us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, we are, uh, now we are the sons of God. It does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know, we have faith, we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. 